If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're continuing on in our series together, Living Hope in a Hopeless World. Peter was writing to an interesting group of people. These were Christians, some of the first Christians, from Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And they were people who had not seen Jesus, had been learned, they had learned of Christ the same way you and I have. Someone told us about the gospel. We believed it. We invited Christ into our lives, and we start living for him with the help of the Holy Spirit. Well, as these people lived this out, they began to experience trials and suffering, even persecution. Some were dying. And you can imagine what was going on in their minds, and so Peter writes this word to them to encourage them with a hope, a living hope, and an assurance that what they're going through has a purpose. And that what they're going through, God is going to use, not only to bring glory to Jesus, but a great and glorious future for them. There was a purpose in all that they were going through. When Peter begins this section in verse 3, he's talking about praise. We were singing today, we're breathing in his grace, and we are breathing out his praise. Well, that's what these people were doing. And in verse 3, Peter puts it like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with great care, greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Let's pray together. Father, this word that you sent through Peter to these faithful believers must have been a great encouragement to them. But you meant it clearly to be an encouragement to us as well today. There isn't a one of us who hasn't or isn't or will be going through trials of various kinds. Because the faith that you want to produce in us, the likeness of Christ to which you're molding us, can't be produced in a life of ease. These things test and try us. And they prove the genuineness of our faith. They make it stronger. Today, God, 
I don't know what all these dear people are going through. I can't even imagine with all those watching who are with us right now on this live stream. But you know everything. Everything we face or will face. And it helps us to know today that our trials have a purpose. They're giving us the hope of a proven faith. And we thank you for all that you'll show us today. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in the first grade, my best friend was a guy named Rocky. You always like having a friend named Rocky. He was a great guy. Even in first grade, he was a really good swimmer. And part of that is because his parents had a membership at the YMCA. Now, when you are living in rural New England, the thought of seeing an indoor pool is like something you're hoping to get in your lifetime. I had never seen an indoor pool. And Rocky asked me to spend the weekend with he and his family, and I was so pumped I was going to see an indoor pool. So we went to the YMCA. When I walked in, I was not prepared. This thing was scary. I mean, I had paddled around at the lake in the shallow end, did a little dog paddle thing, but I was no swimmer. And so, man, I, I saw down in that pool with numbers bigger than me, and I thought, there's no way I'm jumping in there. So I went down the shallow end, and I climbed in, and I stood on my tippy toes and held on the side, and that's where I was staying. On the other end, Rocky's jumping off the diving board, squealing and having a great time, doing cannonballs, getting back out, doing it again. He's saying, hey, come on, you can do this. It's a blast. I'm saying, there is no way. I, I'm, I'm not going down there. So I climbed out of the shallow end, walked down the deck, and I sat on the deep end with my toes dangling in the water, watching him having a great time. I was white-knuckling the side of this thing. I was afraid of the water. Rocky's dad came over and said, Hey, Larry, you can do this. Jump in. Just try it. We're here. You can do it. I said, No way am I going in there. I can't swim. He goes, Oh, you can swim. No, I can't. So Rocky's dad was a big guy. And I didn't know this, but standing behind me, he lifted me off the deck like this and threw me in the deep end. <laughs> I, I came up sputtering and coughing. My feet and legs were going as fast as they could go. And I'm dog paddling for all I'm worth. And I made it to the side and I grabbed on. I'm holding on. And he goes, see, you can do it. Now get out and do it again. And I knew if I didn't, he'd grab me and throw me back. <laughs> So I got out on the deep end and I jumped in right next to the edge and went over real quick. And little by little, I went further. And to make a long story short, by the end of the night, I kid you not, I was jumping off the diving board into the water, having the time of my life in the deep end. And I never would have experienced that had not Rocky's dad picked me up and threw me in. I would have remained afraid. You know, in many ways, what Rocky's dad did for me in my swimming that night? God does for each of us in regards to our faith. God sees the potential in us, and he knows what he wants us to become, and he knows he's trustworthy, and he knows he is more than able to handle anything we face. But so many times, we stay in the shallow end of life's faith pool because we're afraid to go in the deep end with God. We're afraid of what he might do or what we might have to experience. And so we stay in the shallows. But God loves us enough and cares enough to pick us up, and sometimes he throws us into the deep end because he wants our faith to grow. He wants us to learn more of who he is. He wants to give us a hope and a future. 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said that little faith will take your soul to heaven. Great faith will bring heaven to your soul. You see, a little mustard seed of faith is enough for you to be saved. If you believe what Jesus did on the cross, died, buried, and rose again, that'll save you. But God has so much more of him that he wants us to experience, so much more he wants to bring to us and show through our lives. The deep end of life's pool is often the suffering and the trials that God throws us into that we would never choose on our own. And they're scary. But he shows us in those things a deepened, proven faith. And you know what? You find out over time that life in the deep end with God was a whole lot better than what you were living in the shallow end. Peter wrote this letter to suffering Christians who had been tossed into the deep end of life. They were living for Jesus, they believed his word, and they were suffering. Peter reminded them, you're chosen by God. You've been set apart by God. You've been given new birth and an eternal inheritance of salvation that will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you, and all this is yours. And he said in verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, all kinds of trials, illness and financial setbacks, relational strife and job losses, injuries and disease, rejection and ridicule, and even retaliation and death to some for nothing more than living out their faith in a world that was not ready to receive them. All these trials, Peter said, have come not to punish you, but to perfect you. Not because God has abandoned you, but because he's with you. And he's growing you and your faith to have a hope that's, and a faith that's proven. That's why he said in verse 7, these have come so that you're so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The word proven means developed or tested or tried. Proven genuine. Remember, the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 11 that faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain, of what we do not see. Peter told these believers, yours is not a fair-weather faith, but instead it's grown to be a faith in Jesus that is proving genuine, and not even the trials are stealing away your joy. That faith is being refined like gold, Peter told them. Heat is being applied. The dross is burning away. And what's emerging is the kind of faith that will allow you to live with God in the events of this life and never have that faith stolen. Yours will be a proven faith. And with it comes the hope that that kind of faith brings. Because as Peter reminds these Christians and us, Christians can rejoice even in their trials with the hope that comes from a proven faith. What is that hope that proven faith brings? Peter tells them. It's the hope of a glorious future and the hope of a present joy. Trials produce a proven faith that brings us the hope of a glorious future. Peter told them in verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice. 
Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. My daughter, youngest daughter, is in her 20s. I find out as our kids get older, especially the girls, they don't want me to tell their exact age, so in their 20s is still acceptable. The other night, I saw Kimmy doing her online banking and paying her bills, and I just sat there watching, smiling, because it reminded me of a time when she was a little girl, when our other kids were little. Um, we'd be helping them with their math homework, you know, like in elementary school and middle school. And so most of the time I sat there pretending to help them with their math homework. I did really good up to about grade three. Beyond, beyond that, I was, I was lost. But I would sit there and pretend like I'd shake my head. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that looks good. Anyway, many times as these math things were being learned, they would say to me, Dad, this is so hard. This is so stupid. Why do I have to learn this stuff? What's the point anyway? I have a calculator. And I would say, look, I know it's hard, and I know it doesn't make sense, and I know you have to work through to find out the meaning of the X's and O's and the Y's and all that stuff, but trust me, someday you'll look back and remember why learning this was important, and you'll be grateful for what you've learned. It all has a purpose. So as I sat there watching my daughter doing her online banking, I thought, it's true. Now she knows why learning that was important. In many ways, that's been my same life experience with God. Maybe yours has been the same. I've been through some things in my life I'd prefer not to have to repeat, and so have you. And in the midst of those things, you think, God, why do we have to go through this? What is the point? This is so hard. I love you. I believe in you. Why do I need this? God says, I know it's hard. And I know you wouldn't choose it, but trust me, it's necessary. And what I'm producing through this, someday, you will see its value. Trust me, you will. Peter told these suffering Christians to take hope in the fact that all their trials were proving their faith and providing something for a glorious future. Peter said in verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. People value gold, God values faith. And so he said, I'm going to refine that faith that you have. I'm going to prove it as genuine. Peter said that testing is going to result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The word praise is a strengthened form of that word, is to let us know that this praise that we offer Jesus, he is certainly worthy of, but that praise is going to be coming back to us from him. 
It's going to come upon those who have endured these trials for Jesus, for his glory. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to encourage the Roman believers in Romans 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Look at this. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his, what? His glory. Paul went on to say, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Paul told the Thessalonian church another group of Christians who were suffering for their faith. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this glory that belongs to Jesus, he's going to share with us. For those of us who have borne these trials with him. That's our hope. In fact, in Romans 5, verse 1, Paul said, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, Peter is telling them, you're seeing Christ lived out through you. The sufferings he had are the sufferings he still has. And you're carrying these for him. So praise, glory, and honor is awaiting you. And God's producing that for you in a way that could not be produced any other way. The honor that you're about to receive is bestowed by God on those who have been tested and proven genuine. You see, this is our glorious hope. Glorious hope of a future glory. And I'll tell you, this is something the world will not tell you about. This is something most Christians won't tell you about. We're always in a hurry to get out of our suffering. And believe me, suffering is not fun. The suffering is not the glorious part. It's what the suffering brings that's glorious. And in the end, we're going to find out it was worth it. Paul told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, I love this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. God is shining his glory through us. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed, 
on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Wow, what a day that's going to be. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You see it? Don't fix your eyes on the trials. These are temporary, but what they're producing you cannot yet see, but it is eternal. See, it changes the way we see our trials, our frustrations and our disappointments when you realize that God really is working to give us the hope of a proven faith and a future glory. And not only the hope of a glorious future, but trials produce a proven faith that brings us the hope of a present joy. Peter said in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Years ago, I met a man who's deeply impacted my life. His name is Robert Reed. I've never met Robert personally. I met him through a book that Max Lucado wrote called The Applause of Heaven. Max Locato met Robert Reed at a conference when we heard Robert speak. And the reason I go back and listen to what Robert says is because it's teaching me about the kind of joy that only God can give. Here's what Locato wrote. I have everything I need for joy, Robert Reed said. Amazing, I thought. His hands are twisted and his feet are useless. He can't bathe himself. He can't feed himself. He can't brush his teeth, comb his hair, put on his underwear. His shirts are held together by strips of Velcro. His speech drags like a worn-out audio cassette. Robert has cerebral palsy. The disease keeps him from driving a car or riding a bike or going for a walk, but it didn't keep him from graduating from high school or attending Abilene Christian University, from which he graduated with a degree in Latin. 
Having cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at a St. Louis junior college or from venturing overseas on five mission trips. And Robert's disease didn't pre prevent him from becoming a missionary in Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone in 1972, and there he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour and a tutor who would instruct him in the language. And then he stationed himself daily in a park where he distributed brochures about Christ, and within six years, he had led 70 people to Jesus, one of whom became his wife, Rosa. Lucado said, I heard Robert speak recently. I watched other men carry him in his wheelchair onto the platform. I watched them lay a Bible open in his lap. I watched his stiff fingers force open the pages. And I watched people in the audience wiping away tears of admiration. Robert could have asked for sympathy or pity. He could have grumbled or complained, but he did just the opposite. He held his bent hand up in the air, and he boasted, I have everything I need for joy. Lucado said his shirts are held together by Velcro, but his life is held together by joy. People see that kind of joy, they usually think it's phony. Christians get accused of that all the time. But I read this because the joy that Robert Reed had is real. I've seen it in other people. Humanly speaking, there are a hundred reasons why they should have no joy at all, and yet they've got the kind of joy that everybody's looking for, and you wonder, where in the world is this coming from? It's real. It's deep. And it's from God. Because people, that kind of joy, you can't make on your own. You cannot produce that. There is no circumstance, no matter how good, who can give you that kind of joy. And there is no circumstance, no matter how severe, that can ever steal that kind of joy. I've had plenty of grumbling in my life to God over things a lot less severe than this. Peter told these suffering Christians, not you will have, you do have, right now, in the midst of your trial, an inexpressible and glorious joy. Peter called these Christians to be reminded of the hope that was theirs, experiencing that joy in the midst of it. He said in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word for joy there is the word for delight. Un inexpressible and glorious. Inexpressible means unspeakable. You can't find the words to tell someone the joy you're experiencing because there's no words you can use to help them understand it if they themselves have not experienced it. 
It's inexpressible. You can tell them till you're blue in the face, find all the words you want, but they won't get it. You have to live it to know this kind of joy. And this kind of glory, he said, is not only inexpressible, it's glorious. The word glorious there means magnified. And this is what a lot of us miss. Peter's telling them, those trials you're in, they don't steal your joy, they only magnify it. Where have you heard that before? Trials magnify this kind of joy. People, this isn't pretend. This isn't Pollyanna. This isn't plastic smile Christianity. There's enough of that stuff going around. Trials hurt. I've been through them and so have you. Trials are not fun. And it doesn't help to have somebody come along and slap you on the back when you're standing next to the casket of your mom or your brother or your sister or your child and say, boy, isn't there joy in this? No, it doesn't help. But you know what? God is going to produce something through the losses, through the trials, through the heartbreaks, through the things we experience. God is going to bring about a joy that's real that no one will have to tell you about. He'll produce it. As we shall see later in 1 Peter, the trials these people suffered were painful and real. But the realization that these trials were producing in them a joy they could not experience any other way was giving them a strength and a confidence that Peter's going to be writing about through this book. It's called the living hope. A living hope that Jesus suffered to bring me this salvation, and now Jesus continues to suffer in me and through me to complete this salvation. That's why he said you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The end result, the goal, the final completed intended result of your faith is the salvation of your souls. People, this is a process we enter into. God is still working it out in us. That's why the scripture talks about you have been saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. And people read that and they think, well, which is it? I have been, I am, or I will be. It's all. When you came to Jesus, you were saved from sin's penalty. Right now, with the power of the Holy Spirit working in you through these trials and all these other things, God is saving us. We are being saved from sin's power. And one day, we will be saved from sin's very presence when we are in glory with him. People, this is all in the present tense. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled, and you are receiving. Right now, you have all of this, and God's working it out. That's the source of your joy. You can't lose. In fact, you've already won. Peter said, this is the salvation that's ours through the suffering of Jesus that the prophets wrote about. That's why he said in verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. All of the Old Testament prophets who wrote about Christ, he's in every book. They didn't fully understand the scope 
of the salvation that God was working. And God revealed to them, this isn't just for you, but there's a future generation where all of this is going to be revealed. The cross will be understood. The resurrection will be known. And the glories that follow will be revealed. But these men faithfully wrote this down, and the Holy Spirit recorded that word. Prophets didn't always understand what they were writing, but God was writing through them. That's why Peter would later write in 2 Peter 1, verse 19, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you'll do well to pay attention to it. It's right here. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter told these people, you haven't seen him, but you love him. They weren't there when Jesus died and rose again. They heard about Jesus the same way you and I did, through this word. And he said, you don't see him now, but you believe in him. Faith comes from hearing the word, Paul told the Romans. These people haven't seen him, and they don't see him now. In fact, they might be wondering, where is he in the midst of these trials? But they believe God because they believe the word that was passed through the prophets, made sure by the Holy Spirit, now revealed, and who, gives it, who uses it to give you a faith that will remain strong and proven. This salvation that is coming, this salvation that we have, and this salvation that will be completed is so awesome, Peter said, even angels long to look into these things. This salvation is so remarkable, angels don't get it. They don't get it. They saw Satan lead a rebellion in heaven. And it got him cast out along with all the multitude that followed him. They're the demonic world of the day, the principalities and powers. They saw Satan and the demons rebel against God. They were cast out, and there is no hope for them. There is no salvation for them. And yet they watch God make man in his image, put him in a garden with everything perfect. They rebel against God, and what does God do? Sends Jesus out of heaven to become a baby, live this life, go to a cross, die, be buried, and rise again to do all of that. And now he sends the Holy Spirit to live in these people who have rebelled against him and now been saved. And he sends the Holy Spirit to live in them and continue to work out this salvation to be sure that they will get everything God promised and the glory that belongs to Christ alone. And they look at that and think, I don't get it. They long to look at it. In fact, it's written in the present tense. They continually stare at it because God is teaching them about the immensity of this salvation and his grace by watching us. In fact, that word long to look is the word for stoop down. They get down and look at what God is doing in us, drinking it in and learning of God's grace and salvation. That's what Paul was talking about with the Ephesians in Ephesians 3 and verse 8 when he said, although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles, to the nations, the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, 
which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Look at this. His intent was that now through the church, that's you and me, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to who? The rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realm. God is teaching the angelic host the principalities and powers of his greatness and his grace and his glory in this salvation that he's worked out through Jesus Christ. And it's all according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amazing. Peter said, that's what God's doing in you right now through the things you're suffering. And angels are watching you. They see how the world handles trials. And now they're watching how you do it. And it's different. And God's using this. Not only to produce a glory for you and an internal joy, but he's using it to teach the angelic host of his glory and his goodness. I was reading a piece by Ian Lettich the other day um, from a book called Life Before Death, A Restored, Regenerated, and Renewed Life. He wrote this book in 2007. Um, Ian Lettich is a pastor in Glasgow, Scotland. Um, went to Moody Bible Institute, pastored for a while in Chicago. Now he's back in Scotland serving. Speaks all over the world. He was asked by a businessman, he said in this book, if Ian would come and speak to his staff about these spiritual principles he was espousing. And he said, I readily accepted. One of this man's staff asked me if we could talk privately after the meeting. When we got together, she said, Ian, when I was 22, I was in a serious car accident, and my boyfriend was killed. I've gone through a lot of surgery, and now I'm doing well, but when that happened, I lost my faith. Ian asked the question in the book, what do you say to someone like that who says, I had faith, but in this trial, I lost it? I mean, we all understand there's a compassion here. It was horrible. But what do you say to someone who said, I lost my faith in it? So he said, I prayed, and as kindly as I could, I said, you know, when they built the Queen Mary, the Queen Elizabeth, and the QE2, they didn't test them in dry dock. They didn't leave these huge ships in dry dock and get big hoses on them to see if they would leak. They got those ships out into the open ocean to put them through sea trials. And these trials were not intended to sink the ship. The trials were to prove that the ship was seaworthy. The only way you can know whether your faith is real or not is when the pressures of life come, when you go through the trials then you will know if your faith is genuine or not. And so he said to her, can I ask you honestly, did you lose your faith in that trial? Or did the trial prove that you really had none? We can all empathize 
with the girl who went through that horrendous time. But what Ian was telling her is consistent with what Peter said. If our faith is real, even in the shallow end, God will sometimes pick us up and toss us in the deep end. And when he does, he's right there with us. He's doing it to prove the genuineness of our faith. A faith that becomes strong enough that trials can't steal it. Trials simply magnify it. Doesn't mean that trials are fun. They never are. And we don't like them, and we would still never choose them. But now we learn in the midst of them that God is at work, and we see them differently, and we can hang on, and we can believe. That's what Peter wrote to these suffering Christians. You have new birth into a living hope. You've got an eternal inheritance kept in heaven for you. You rejoice in that, but right now, you're in the deep end. God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forgotten you, and it isn't without purpose. These trials are producing in you a future glory that far outweighs them all. Someday, you will look back with God and thank him because he will show you how everything was absolutely necessary to achieve in you what he had purposed to do. And, he said, it's producing in you a hope of an ever-present joy, unspeakable and glorious. You can't even find the words. You have to experience it. And only God can produce it. This is the salvation God's working out in you. A salvation so amazing the angels can't take their eyes off what God is doing. That's the hope God wants to show to a hopeless world. The hope of a proven faith. Father, you've got a lot of work to do in my life. There's so much I need to learn. I know there's a right place to vent. I know there's a right place to share our hurts and our pains. But there's never a right place to question you or to accuse you of being bad or abandoning us or any of those things. You've proven yourself over and over and over and over again. So I want to thank you for a man who threw me in the deep end. Because of that experience, God, you used that to help me to go on to be a good swimmer, even a lifeguard. And I want to thank you for being a father who throws us in the deep end from time to time to help us to learn that our faith is real. It's rooted in Christ and his word. Trials can't steal this kind of faith. It only makes it stronger. And the glory you receive from that is the glory you're shining to a hopeless world as you show in them and in us a living hope. The living hope of a proven faith. Thank you, God, that as Christians we're called to come alongside and help. We're to be compassionate and loving and pray and walk with our brothers and sisters through the dark times. But as David reminded us, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. Thank you, God. 
for the hope that is proven. And we'll thank you in your precious name. Amen.